Welcome to the I Am Adamant podcast, where we are hoping to find truth in this crazy universe of opinions. I'm Lisa Bevere, and today I am joined by Dale Partridge. Now, you probably know Dale Partridge as an online thought leader on faith, family, and manhood. He is never shy about his opinions, and I believe his opinions are tied very strongly to his convictions. But he's also an author of several books. His latest, which is actually launching on April 17th, the same time as Adamant, is Save from Success. Dale is a pastor, a blogger. He is read and loved by millions. He and his wife operate the nonprofit relearnchurch.org. So if you want to learn more about them, and it spearheads a provocative conversation about bringing the church back to the Bible. Together they live, where I wish I lived, in Bend, Oregon, with their three children on a farm. And you can follow them on Instagram and actually watch some of the stories and get jealous like I do. But Dale, thank you so much for joining me today. I am super stoked to be here. I am thrilled that you could make the time. So I'm going to ask you something. I already kind of know the answer, but I want everybody out there to to really understand your passion. Uh, what are you adamant about? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's bringing people back to God's truth. Um, and that could be, you know... In in the uh, the arena of manhood, it could be in the arena of marriage. It could be in the arena of life. It could be in the arena of of sexuality. Um, but just really going, okay, what do we, you know, closing the gap between what God says and how we live, and mm. that is what I'm adamant about. Just saying, hey, do we really believe what we say we believe as Christians? And so I, my my whole mission is to really help bring Christians back to the to God's word and what they really believe and actually hold them to it and say, hey, do you really walk this out or do you just say that you believe these things? So that's definitely, I guess, at the core of what I'm adamant about. I love that. And I, I I know that you're a man who really loves family. I know that John got to meet you. Uh, I'm the one that has been looking forward to meeting you and you've slipped into town while I was out of town. And so I think you and John got to spend some time together and we were so sad that we didn't get to come and be part of what you were doing for marriages because I, I love that you don't just have a theory about this, but you're actually practically working this out in a community where you are connected and accountable to other people. And uh, you had some of our favorite people in the world there. You had Margaret and Andre there, our Russian friends. We love them so much. She was an intern here and uh, it's just a treasure. And uh, yeah, so we, we love what you do with family. We love how you do life. And um, yeah, I just, I just feel like that you've had this opportunity to see things from the success realm and from the Christian realm. You're a pastor and an entrepreneur. That's an unusual combination. And what would you say was the whole reason why you wrote Save from Success? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, yeah, I spent so many years building great businesses and I, I had companies that were 50 employees, $7 million a year. We, we were thriving as companies and I had several companies in the multi-million dollar range. And, and that was just my journey of learning how to build businesses. But um you know, my, my first book, People Over Profit, was just kind of my philosophy of business. But now I'm just going, okay, you know, is is culture's definition of success, what if it's actually God's definition of failure? I mean, in other words, like, is the cultural definition of success something to seek after or to be saved from? And this was a huge challenge of going, again, like as I said earlier, about closing the gap between what you believe and how you live. And um, so right out of the gate, Lisa... I ask readers to really determine if if they're actually Christian, you know, yeah. because you you can believe in Jesus and not be a Christian. I mean, James two nineteen says even the demons believe and tremble. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to call yourself a follower of Christ, you, you know, you got to be willing to 
relinquish the authority of your life to him. You, you have to like allow the Wait, cross. wait, did you just wait? Did you just say that I would relinquish the authority of my life if I was a Christian? You know, right? people are going to want to hear that. Yeah, I know. This is so funny. This like core doctrine, right? That's like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, what's wait, you mean Jesus, Jesus is Lord? Is he Lord? <laughs> right? Not, not just Savior, but Lord too. That he was a life uh, enhancement. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, so that's the one thing I say, hey, we got to define, are we actually Christian? Are we going to actually go, oh, he's Lord? And I, I'm, I'm, yeah, relinquishing the authority of my life. The second thing I, I talk about is um, I want to define where you're getting your, your morality. I mean, because success implies what we ought to do. In other words, like what is right? And so first, like how do you define what is right? And is it by your emotions? Is it your experiences? Is it science? Is it by consensus morality? Or is it by the word of God, the Bible? Mm-hmm. And so I, I push people hard to that because ultimately, you know, you know, Lisa, you and I totally can agree on this. You know, as Christians, we believe the Bible because Jesus believed the Bible, right? Jesus took the scriptures not only to be historical fact, but authoritative on how to live. I was just doing some study and I realized that he quotes and references 78 different verses from 16 Old Testament books. And he references them as the scriptures, the word of God, the wisdom of God. And ultimately, Christians, we need to ask ourselves, uh, are we willing to believe in Jesus, but not Jesus's position on scripture? Yeah, that's pretty much where we're at right now. So we love Jesus. We forgot he's the (laughs) word made flesh. Right. And so, so this has been the core of this book in terms of just the philosophy as we start. Because I go, okay, I got to get some nodding heads. Do, are we the right audience that's reading this book? Otherwise, this book's going to make you really mad and you're not going to yield to it and you're going to go do your own thing. But if you're ready, then we're going to dive down and go, let's see what God says in contrast to what culture says. Right. And what would you say our culture's definition of success is? I mean, I hit all these topics, right? I hit marriage, children, purpose, influence, freedom, youth. I mean, all these kind of main areas. And each one of them has kind of this this philosophy behind it that is, again, in opposition to God, right? First Corinthians 3.19 says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. You know, Isaiah 55.8.9 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways are my ways, says the Lord. For the heavens, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. These scriptures have to be like, deeply ingrained into your bones to realize, okay, God, your ways are better than my ways because the stuff that the Bible says in many instances is unpopular and uncomfortable to your flesh. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So counterintuitive. Like right when you think something's popular, you realize that it's actually not superior, you know, mm-hmm. and right when you think everybody's over here on the left, everybody's over there actually on the right. And every time I go, Jesus, oh, look there, he's, he's got to be up there. And then I look down and go, no, Jesus is down there. And I mean, we know that, right? He says first is last, you know, everything is counterintuitive. And so, yeah, I mean, I hit thought for thought for like marriage, you know, the culture says, nurture your singleness. You know, this is the core, not, not just in the culture. This is also in the church, nurture your singleness, you know, and then God says in the opposition, it's not good for man to be alone. And so there's just these contrasts that I attack and go, Hey, we have to look at, do we, are we willing to replace what we think? And even what the church does with what the Bible says, I mean, I, I love what you're, what you're challenging. And, you know, it's interesting. I kind of feel like in, in one way we're kind of tracking because for me, uh, when I was writing Adamant, it was all about is, is the word of God truth or not? Because yep. if, if Jesus is just one of many ways, then he's, he's, he's a liar and he's not the way and he is not the truth. But he said he was the truth. He wasn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't, it wasn't his truth. 
He was the truth. And we have a lot of this pull towards my truth. You know, what's true for you, Dale, might not be true for me. Well, that's true of, that's not truth. Truth is an eternal thing that does not shift, that does not move, that does not change. And so it sounds like what you're doing is you're taking all these different concepts and then you're holding it up to the mirror of the word of God and saying, how are we reflecting this? Is the word of God ultimately truth or is the word of God, has it shifted and changed according to my preferences and my experiences and my desires and uh, my needs in this moment? And I, I think that right now there is, there is a desperate hunger for people wanting to find something solid. And it sounds like what you've done is taken all these different areas and uh, said, let's, ma- let's make this solid. So let's, let's tackle the area of single and married, because I think that that is a huge thing right now. I know I've got one son who is married and three sons who would love to be married. And, um, and, and I do think it's a real challenge for them uh, in, in, a, in, in a different way than it was for John and I. Like when John and yeah. I met, it was like, hey, this is a Christian guy with a job. Or a Christian guy without a job. Which one do you want to marry? I'm like, I'll take the Christian guy with the job. Plus, right. John's, John's the one that led me to the Lord. I didn't have like 300,000 different choices, you know, and he was godly and he had integrity and and he used my name in sentences compared to my other boyfriends. I was like, wait a minute, this guy's amazing. And we were flawed and we were young, but we decided to build a life together. Uh, we did not think that we were going to have the perfect package to start with. And, um, and so I think that we've been a catalyst for one another's remaking and growth, but what would you, what would you say? Cause I, you're in your, are you in your thirties still? Yeah, I'm 30, I'm 33 tomorrow. Okay. So you're like my oldest son's age. So I'm talking to like a son <laughs> of mine. So happy almost birthday. We, we call that, uh, we'd call this happy Dale Eve, the Eve of your right. birthday. Yeah. We have, we have, we have the Eve of the Eve. We have the Eve of the birthday. Then we have the post birthday. My boys try to drag it out as as long as possible. So happy Dale Eve. But, um, you know, so this is this age group that is having some, you know, a hard time. And, and uh, you know, there's all these different theories and all these different reasons, but I would love you to hold up those, those dynamics that you were able to compare with this nurture your singleness. I know what you're not saying when you say nurture your singleness, you're not saying hate your singleness and, and uh, yeah. be sad that you're single and feel less than you're single, but contrast that and talk about that. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying that you should be shameful or guilty because you're single. No, but there's a difference when you're actually prolonging your singleness on purpose. Like you're choosing to nurture your singleness and you don't have the gift of singleness because it says it's a gift in 1 Corinthians 7. It's a gift. You don't just go like learn a a new gift. It's given to you. And we know that God says it's not good for man to be alone. Now, when he says that, it's interesting is that God didn't say that when sin entered the world and as if marriage was somehow the solution for keeping us from sin. God said that before sin entered the world, even like in a perfect world, like the Garden of Eden, he still desired us to to be married, to be fruitful and to multiply. And so uh, just this idea that that we're supposed to continue on in singleness uh, in the church and not be actively looking and searching and praying for that spouse, especially if, again, I should say only if you don't have the gift of singleness, which again, I've met people that have had the gift of singleness. Sadly, our culture takes that person if they actually don't have a sexual desire for the opposite sex and they tell them that maybe you're homosexual. Right. And so so that's what happens to that generally in my experience. But, you know, this this idea that that we can prolong this, what it's causing is the pornography epidemic. 55% of men in the church 
in the church who are ch- attending church on a regular basis are looking at pornography at least once a week. 32% of women. Okay, this is an epidemic and everybody wants to say, not my church, because we, we love to make ourselves feel special and that we're like the exception to the rule, but these are national stats. And so, yeah, what happens when you have a, you know, a man who is primed up for sexual maturation, he has sexual desires, and he has absolutely no outlet, and he's 34. Yeah. You know, he's going on 17, 18 years of going, man, how do, how do you let this stuff out? Well, then you start building a relationship with someone on the internet in terms of just these, these photos and videos. You know, I was researching for Adamant. This is something I, I found. You probably found this too. It says, Huffington Post claimed that porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. According to Fight the New Drug last year, million videos were watched on Pornhub, and that's 12.5 videos for every person on the planet. That's terrifying. Mm terrifying. I mean, this is this is a epidemic, big deal stuff. And the idea is that people think that they can have their sin in heaven too. Yeah. Okay. And you got these guys that are just walking in unrepentant, habitual sin, looking at pornography. And again, so again, we, we have to build a culture of going, hey, get married. This is a good thing. And, and again, sure, it is hard to find a married couple and or, or uh, someone worth marrying. Um, there's, you know, there's a, uh, a few really good um, studies about this that we're, 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 we've trained our culture to not be comfortable with the romantic side. We actually go straight to sex right? and we're untrained. But so th- there's one other side I want to talk about, Lisa, is that, you know, culture says, find yourself before you find your spouse. See, what God has taught me is that you find yourself through your spouse. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that is the big contrast is that, man, I don't know. I mean, you know, Lisa, you've been married uh, for some time. I've been married almost 10 years now. And I go, man, the, the development of Dale happened yeah. after my wedding day. Right. You know, so this is a big deal. And um, there's, a, there's a statement that I make in the book, and it's this concept of the, the vast majority of Christians, Lisa, who have been before us would surely be shocked by the very need to build a case to be made for, for Christian adults to be made for marriage. I mean, like our bodies are not evolutionary accidents and God reveals his intention for humanity through the, the gifts of sexual maturation, fertility, sexual desire. And, and as men and women who are Christians, we are made for marriage. I mean, as Christians, we're not called to celibacy and called to demonstrate, or sorry, if we're not called to celibacy, we're called to demonstrate our discipleship through the honoring of the creator's intention by directing our sexual desire and reproductive capacity into a commitment of marriage. This is, again, throughout the scriptures, we even look at Jesus. They always say, oh, Jesus is single. And I go, yeah, you know that he's also engaged to be married. Yeah, he's a bridegroom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. And so we have to just recognize the Father's heart. The Bible is a grand narrative of a beautiful wedding. What do you think it's the motivation behind it? Do you think uh, that people are like, nope, I'm not ready? What do you, what do you think that's causing them to hit this pause button? Of, of course, I, I get it that um, they're satisfying themselves with something that is uh, creating this horrible, vicious cycle of lust and um gratification and subjugation of, of people. But what do you think is the reason why they're delaying, Dale? I mean, there's a quote that says, you're, you know, parents, be careful. Your relationship is the only marriage book your children will, might ever read. And so we have a lot of hurt people from just seeing marriage and it's just going, okay, I don't want that. That's a horrible mm. thing. Mm-hmm. They're fighting, they're unhappy. So we have that side. 
And then I think the second side is, yeah, it's the selfishness. I mean, yeah, have, 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 you know, virtual sex with anybody you want in the privacy of your home, uh, you know, behind a computer screen with no commitment anywhere. Um, and then at the end of the day for the women, I feel so bad because we live in a culture of bearded boys, right? So we have this, you know, 38 year old boy who, you know, lives on his own. We've, we've reduced growing up to moving out and paying for your own Netflix account. Um, when in reality, there is not that what you talked about in John in terms of the integrity, you know, the mm-hmm. man ready to lead, a, to lead his wife, and to, to lead his wife by because he's following God. And so we have a lot of immature men. We've extended adolescence all the way until your 30s instead of shedding adolescence between the ages of 17 and, and 19. And so, you know, this is a, we, we do have a boy problem. We have a boy problem for sure. And that is causing, I think, a lot of this. And it's, it's riled up because of the feminist problem. So there's a, it's all connected when you start to study what Satan's doing in the world in terms mm-hmm. of the confusion, mm-hmm. the destruction of marriage. Yeah, and gender. Um, yeah. <clears throat> And gender. Yeah, this is exactly what's happening. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the, the boy problem. I think it's selfishness. And I think that we haven't had a great example of godly marriages. You know, um, when I was writing Adamant, I had a, a very profound moment where I was writing about that God is, his love for us as Adamant is invincible. And then I was writing how he wants us to love each other well. And I heard something so clear in my spirit, Dale. I heard uh, God, when I was finishing a chapter, I heard him say, and I am also adamant and hate. And I was like, whoa, Mm. whoa, okay, you are love. How can a God who is love hate? And he said, I hate what unmakes love. And then Mm. he said, I hate what unmakes those I love. And I went into my Bible and I looked at all of the things that God hates. And it's interesting is all of the things, and again, being very careful, it's things, not people, all the things that God hate is about protecting what he loves. And Romans 12, 9 says, let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And so we have a generation that, you know, they're, they flirt with pornography. They hate sex trafficking, yep. but they flirt with pornography. You know, they, they, it, it's very interesting to me. Um, what do you think is causing this generation to be in a position where they can't actually abhor what is evil? They're drawn to it. What do, you, what do you think needs to happen with a generation to, to get God's perspective? This is a huge, I mean, I, I love what you're taking this because, so one, there's a great quote. I forgot who said it. It might, it might have been Chuck Swindoll, but he says, the river of truth must flow down the, or, sorry, the river of love must flow down the banks of truth. Because if we remove the banks, we begin to love the things that God hates. That's beautiful. And so I love that statement. He, you know, also I think of the proverb, it says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Ephesians 5.11 says, do not have partake in any of the things of uncleanness or darkness of uncleanness, um, expose but them. instead expose them, yeah. right? Expose those things, right? And so, yes, we are a, a, we want costless Christianity. We really want a comfortable faith. We want a uh, consumer faith, not a contributor faith. We don't like participant Christianity that has a cost. And, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised that it says all, all of those, if, if Jesus says, if you um, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You know, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so, I think it comes down to Lisa. Why we're not doing these things is one is the fear of man. Mm-hmm. So we're we're afraid of we're afraid of the consequences, right? And I go, man, if you can't stand for this tiny little truth, are you ever going to be able to stand if you were in front of a martyrdom moment? You know, are you able to stand when it when it means your job, when it means your family, like you know? And so then you have the other issue, which is just obedience, right? Uh, the Book of James says that for he who knows to do the right thing yet does not do it, for him it is sin. Mm-hmm. 
And so I go, man, how many of us are walking around knowing to do the right thing and we just don't say anything? You know, we sit down where God's calling us to stand up. And so there's, there's an obedience thing. And then there's the third part, which I think is just responsibility of the shepherds of the church is that we're not equipped to respond. There's not many people that know the truth. Right now, only 11% of all Christians have read the entire Bible. There was a new stat that came out last week by Barna that said that 76% of Christians, evangelical Christians, have never heard of the Great Commission. How is that even okay, that's possible? Fi- that's crazy. Okay, listen to this. So it, it's, and I'll give you the breakdown. It's 51% have never even heard the word. Like they don't even know what, what it is. 51%. They don't know 25%, the concept. 25%. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, 25% says, says we've maybe heard it, but I have no idea what it is. So it's really 76%, right? Don't know what's going on. I go, okay, let's just say that you have an organization and 76% of your organization, your staff doesn't know their job descriptions. How how successful can this organization be? This is why Christianity as a whole, in every county in America, they're, they're, we are diminishing as a faith in America because nobody knows what they're doing. No one's read the Bible. No one's sharing the gospel. No one knows what the Great Commission is. And so again, we're, there's an equipping, you know, the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, like we're missing right. that element. And so, yeah, so it's fear of man. It's obedience and it's we're not equipped. And this is what we need to come together as the church and say, we need reform. We need to help strengthen the church. We need to talk about these problems. It's not okay that we're walking this way. No, it isn't. You know, well, I applaud that you have taken the, the you know, the chance to say, hey, I'm going to say some strong things from a, somebody that's actually been on the success side and said, hey, I'm, I'm measuring this wrong. And I want to I wanna actually take people on a journey. I'm sure this was your journey because I remember talking to you, I think, two, two and a half years ago when we were doing uh, Without Rival. You told me how God was taking you on this journey from success to pastoring into, mm-hmm. you know, a, a close relationship and ha- how he had just kind of turned your whole world upside down and your whole vantage on everything had been challenged. And, uh, you know, when you had written People Over Prophet, you know, that, that was the beginning of a journey, but that this was kind of this fulfillment. So Save from Success is, yes. is uh, your first Christian book, which is noteworthy. And um, yep. I really think that people should check this out. I love how you talk on family. You, you have very strong stances. You're not afraid of saying things. Uh, you know, I appreciate passion. Even if I don't agree with somebody, I always, I always apply passion. I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I always am like, thank you for standing for something. Thank you for having some backbone. Uh, right. Even if, even if the, you know, just right now, everybody just wants to be popular. They don't want to be truthful. And um, I have made the commitment, and I know that you guys and John and I, we, our whole family, is that either the Word of God is truth, and that truth is eternal and unshifting, and un- it doesn't change, or or it's a lie. But we believe it's the truth. And if we believe it's the truth, then we have to submit our lives to the Word of God, to the culture of God, to you know a relationship with one another as believers— and uh, a lot of people, they, they don't necessarily want to do that. They want to go to church. They don't want to be told that they're, the, they're supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. They're like, I, I'm sorry, I gave my 10% for my tithe, and you're supposed to do all the work of the ministry, and I just come in here and sit here. So it's, it's definitely going to have to shift and change. And uh, you're, you're launching a church soon, is that correct? 
Yeah, we're actually in a couple of weeks. We're going to be planting our, a house church. We we are a house church movement in terms of. Your, I thought you were. Yeah, right. Yeah, so we're just establishing house churches, and as soon as we get too big, you know what we do? Instead of going and buying a building, we uh we split. We trade up leaders and we plant another house church, wow. and we've got four of them now, and it's awesome because we're seeing families that are fruitful and marriages are stronger and children are obedient and people are equipped to preach the gospel and they're sharing the gospel with their friends. We're baptizing people in bathtubs and in rivers and in, you know, anything we can do. I mean, it is really cool to start seeing, you know, New Testament Christianity walking itself out. You know, Lisa, you said something a second ago about popularity and I go, yeah, the ministry of Jesus was, was not popular. It was so unpopular that they killed him for it. And we have to remember that, that like, okay, all the apostles, but you know, except John, right? Like these people are, right. they died, you know, they, they, they were killed for their faith. Let's look at the prophets. Like most of them died. And so popularity is a myth. Now you might get the Billy Graham moment where you get to just preach the gospel your whole life and, you know, and then die at 99 years old, you know, and, but, but the reality is, is that popularity, persecution is coming and you have to choose. Are you going to stand for the truth? Because there's moments that are coming that mm-hmm. are going to be hard. And the church, the church as we know it has not prepared the next generation to stand for the truth in the season that's coming. And that's why we need to go, okay, we need to talk about the word of God. We need to do you know, a breakdown of what it's actually saying. We need to be loyal to this. Do we actually do this? Because otherwise, when the time comes to pay the price, we're going to, we're going to flounder and we're going to fall. And, and, um, and so this is my heart is that I go, this book is going, Hey, let's take a look at every element of your life, how you look at children, how you look at influence, how you look at purpose and go, I just want to submit and yield that to the Lord's perspective. And it's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. Um, there's a lot of love and compassion in the book, even though I'm a very intense and passionate person. Um, I've, I've, you know, I, I, the first Corinthians 13 reigns true. You can know everything. And if you don't have love, you know what it sounds like, like a clanging symbol. And so I tried to really incorporate the love and the patience and the compassion and the humility of walking this journey out. Um, but my hope is that, yeah, it, it actually changes hearts and minds and, and it's not my words, but, but the words of the Lord that are that have the authority and that are bringing the conviction. Well, I want to thank you for this labor. I, I know you have a very full life and I, I know that this was, something that, you know, you've, you've had some backlash on with just health things with your babies and no good ground comes uncontested. And I celebrate with you that you've got this book coming out. So uh, I would just encourage everybody that's listening, you want to go get safe from success. It is going to challenge your whole paradigm of how you're looking at things. And here's the great news. Uh, We're not doing doom and gloom because persecution is actually the very best thing that can ever happen for the church. It usually is what strengthens people. They decide what they believe. But you want to be a people that already have decided what you're going to live by and what you're going to live for. You don't want to find yourself in a moment where you're taken unaware. So if you want to connect with Dale, which I would really suggest, you can check him out at relearnchurch.org. Follow him on Facebook at Dale J. Partridge or Twitter and Instagram at at Dale Partridge. And if you want to actually learn more about the book, Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions, check out IamAdamant.com. 
Dale, thank you so much. I hope the day comes where we actually get to all meet. I know that John and I would love to spend some time with you and your wife and meet your family. I'd love to introduce you to my family. I know Addison and you would be fast friends, so I've often thought about that. But yeah, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for um, loving God's people and loving His Word enough to declare truth. Thank you for not just wanting to be popular or successful and choosing the easy route. But thank you for saying the hard things in a gracious and kind and loving way. I appreciate it. Yeah. And Lisa, I want to just affirm you for everybody who's listening. Lisa has been a friend through text message with us for several years now. And she continues to come back and shock me with how well she stands for the truth in a world that's attacking women on a hard scale. Mm -hmm. And standing for the truth and her and John are the real deal. They're walking these things out in their faith. And it's not a joke. The writings are incredible. And again, you know, Lisa, you and I, we've had all these differences of opinions, but we've still been unified in the faith because that's what the word says. And I love that. And and I, I respect you guys and I appreciate you guys. And I think you guys are awesome. So I just wanted well, to say Well, thank you. That. And we think we need people in our world that don't see things exactly how we see it. We think it's important to have relationships that challenge what you believe and why. Because truth truth be known, Dale, I'm, 50, I'm 58 in June. There are things that I believed uh, 20 years ago that I would have died for that I don't even believe now. So you have, to, you, have right? to, you have to have people in your life that are like, yeah, really? Is this a hill you want to die on? Because it's not really biblical and it's probably not truth. It's just your experience or even somebody else's experience. So I appreciate relationships that are iron sharpening iron. So thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. All right. God bless. Hey, I want you to subscribe because when you subscribe, we can get everything to you right away. We'd also love to see you rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. To learn more about the book, Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions, check it out at IamAdamant.com.